You're listening to episode 109 of the God Center Mom podcast with me, Heather McFadden, and today I'm chatting with Doris Howard, otherwise known as Grammy. I'd always kind of prided myself that I would never have a ner- nervous breakdown <laughs> because I believed God's word so much, I'll just never have one. But <laughs> life was really intense, and so I got into this thinking pattern. If tomorrow is as bad as today, and the next day after that is as bad, I think I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. So I went to an elder's wife and cried for two hours, and she just listened so patiently, and she was just so sweet and so kind. And when I finished all of my sob stories, she said, Doris, God can't give you strength for tomorrow, today. All you have to do is get to bedtime tonight. Okay, that's just a tiny piece of wisdom from the tons of stuff you're going to hear from Grammy today. Don't you love that name? So Grammy is in Nashville with my little brother. Uh, They're in the same small group. And so he's been telling me about her for a long time. I couldn't wait to have her on the show because I'm a big fan of learning from those who go before us. Uh, She also has a cool part of her story that she and her husband mentored Rich Mullins. I mean, that's pretty amazing that... He sought them out for wisdom. I I, uh, I think we have a lot to learn from her today. And I love her accent. It's kind of like you're sitting on a porch. You should grab an iced tea, whether it's 30 degrees where you live or 80. Uh, and lastly, when I hit, uh, I stopped recording, we talked for a little bit longer. And she shared some wisdom that stuck with me. And I wished I had it recorded. So I'm just going to tell you it now. And I want you to see how that theme uh, goes throughout her story. She says, When God asks you to obey, you need to leave the consequences to him. So let's obey God and leave the consequences to him. If you are thinking you need to stop something, if you are thinking you need to start something, I know my own life when I've had to give up opportunities or stop doing things that I thought I was supposed to keep doing, and and I'm so consumed with, but what if I'm letting that person down? Or what if I'm missing out? Or I am consumed with the consequences of what could happen if I do that, if I take that step of obedience. And That's so powerful to think about. If God's calling you to it or if you feel led to do that, then he will take care of all of the the after effects of that choice. Let's get right to the interview. Here we go. Hey, Grammy, welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I am so thrilled that my sweet younger brother, eligible younger brother, connected (laughs) the two of us uh, when I heard that you were mentoring him and you were speaking truth into his life, I couldn't have been more thrilled. I couldn't have been more thrilled. So just thank you for all you do for your your community. And just tell everyone listening, where are you? Where do you live right now? Asheville, North Carolina. Asheville, North Carolina. And now I would love it if you would kind of introduce everyone listening to your family a little bit. Well, I was a, I am a Kentucky girl. Okay. I was born in Glasgow, Kentucky, and uh, nineteen and thirty-six. I just had my eightieth birthday. Congratulations! Uh, I girls in Kentucky back in those days started dating at the age of fourteen, uh, and I did that a lot. I dated a lot, but I had really <laughs> high goals. I sometimes I don't think I knew the name of the Holy Spirit, but I did have faith mm. in God because my parents had faith in God and. But I didn't have knowledge, but I did mm-hmm. have faith. And that got rooted in a story from my grandfather. If you want to hear that story, I could sure. tell Sure. I love stories. 
<clears throat> well, I'll tell you that one, and then we'll start there. Okay. When I was three years old, I became very sick with scarlet fever. Mm. And I was, we were, this is country, Kentucky, and I was in the hospital for three weeks in a temperature of 106. Most of that time, they said if I lived, I wouldn't have a brain left. So that's questionable every now and then <laughs> in my life. But anyway, my grandfather was a Christian and an old farmer. And every single night before he went to bed, he would send his hired hand to see if I was still alive. Mm. And it, close to the end of the three weeks, my body functions were, functions were shutting down, or however they describe that. And my grandfather made everybody leave the room. And prayed for me. Mm. And this is the way they tell me the story. When he came back out on the hospital steps and someone said, how is Doris? My grandfather said, she's going to be fine. And my grandmother said, Joe, you're crazy. That was his wife. That's the way they told me my story the whole life. Well, that night, he didn't send back his hired hand. Mm. And my body started functioning again, and I lived. Wow. So that story has, you might say, enticed me toward prayer. How did my grandfather <laughs> know I was going to live? And that just stayed a root in my life that I think grounded me with a faith in God without knowledge, if that makes any sense. I love it. That's awesome. And just, it just makes me think of Jesus, you know, when he healed and they're like, you're crazy. They're all mourning the loss of this little girl. That's amazing. Right. Amazing. Then when I was 14, some leftover physical things from that time when I was three, I had some more physical problems that they said that I would never live through childbirth. Mm. I would be an invalid for life. And in my 14th year, I made my life goals. And I want to tell you today, every one of them became a reality. Wow. What are some of those goals? My goal was that I would never marry unless I could, we could agree in the Lord. My mother and father were both Christians, but they both thought their church was right. <laughs> and that was in the day when there was a lot of debate about things like that. And mm. I, want, I said I will never marry unless I can marry a week where we can agree in the Lord. Mm. And I started praying when I was told I could never live through childbirth if it was God's will for me to marry that I could have children. Wow. And so later God brought this incredible man into my life and we had three children. The church he went to, they trained their young people by letting them practice. I guess you would say, I think he gave his first sermon when he was 10 years old. Wow. That's awesome. The, well, this it was in the local church, but, but he was a senior and in, going into his senior year in college when we married, but he was already spent back in those days, a lot of small churches didn't have a pastor every week. And so he, he'd speak to one church on first and third and another one on second and fourth. Wow. And that was the lifestyle that we lived for a while as far as church. And but tell we, me tell me again how old are you when you married him? You twenty. Said you were twenty. Awesome. So when you married him, he was a pastor. Yes, and a college student. And a college student. So you got you got to you knew you were walking into becoming a pastor's wife, but you had a heart and a faith. And uh, could could, I could handle that that pressure. <laughs> that but pressure. a little sideline to that, mm -hmm. I had 
faith in God. I never doubted the Bible or anything like that, but I didn't have knowledge. I really didn't. Mm. And it was a works-oriented church. Mm. And so I was working my way to heaven, hoping, hoping that I did enough good works that when I got up there, they would let me in. Yeah. And I think I was 29 years old when I discovered Romans 8.1. And that says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think I smiled for five years, mm. <laughs> knowing that I could go to heaven on this side and not having to wait till I get there. It's, you know, yeah. most of us have to have a learning journey with Jesus, and I definitely had one. Just a slow revealing, right, yes. of truth. And the studying of his word. So did you have someone who was giving that knowledge to you? Did you have someone older than you helping you through that? The truth is... My husband and I learned together. He had, mm. well, he had he had tremendous Bible knowledge. I didn't have any. Mm. Like when I married him and actually started going to his church, I was embarrassed because I couldn't have found Hosea in the Bible if you go shoot me. <laughs> you know, nobody in his church used an index in the Bible. You know, yeah, had to, and I was embarrassed about that. Uh. But his dad was a really godly man and an elder in the church, and he took me aside one day and said, Doris. If you will learn one story a week, one day you'll have Bible knowledge. Mm. Wow. So the time I was 29, probably, I started working with youth, and I've spent my whole life working with youth. Love that. I love that. And you and your husband, I know Adam had us, my younger brother, had us uh, all watch a couple, last year, last Christmas, watch a documentary about a young man that you worked with, you and your husband mentored who is quite well-known, uh, Rich Mullins. Yes. So tell us how you connected with him. Well, you've seen the movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, my, my son and Rich met in Bible College in Cincinnati, Ohio. That was in the movie. You saw that. Yeah. yeah. And so because Rich had so much pain, and I really... I knew he had pain in his home, but I didn't know how real it was till I saw the movie, and I was just awestruck mm. of how the reality was so deep. And friends say that they didn't even portray it as bad as it was. Mm. But Morris was a very godly man, and Rich just really liked him from the time that they met in Cincinnati Bible College. And that friendship just stayed, and this was long before Nashville picked him up. Now he was already a musician and a singer, but not well known. Mm -hmm. And so when he made his first album, Amy Grant got a hold of that one song and that's where it all began of mm -hmm. him moving to Nashville and that kind of thing. But he stayed in our lives and would always come to see us and Morris just had a very special connection to him. And like I said, until the movie I didn't realize why it was so special mm. until I saw the way it was portrayed in the movie. So after he was really, really popular and awesome, God was really doing what, you know, taking him to the forefront, I guess, of Christian music. He just became, he hated Nashville. He just hated it with a passion. Mm -hmm. And so he moved to Wichita, Kansas. That's where we were at the time for Morris to be his mentor and Morris died three months later. So that's really mm. a sad story. So tell us, about, tell us about that time for you as his wife. Well, he was everything I had prayed for and more when I was 14. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We grew in Christ together, you know, having God gave us three children. And then, by the way, all three of my children are in ministry, which is just an extra blessing in my life right now. But um, my story is a little bit, I guess I'll just call it my story. Mm-hmm. Morris died. He lived. He had a heart attack, 36 hours. He lived 36 hours. Mm. And it was... This part I'm telling you right now was equally difficult. Mm. He died two weeks before my youngest daughter's wedding day. Mm. And it had been three months that Rich had moved there. And I grieved as much for Rich as I did for my daughter. And that's Mm. just the truth. Yeah. Because he was so dear to us. And Morse was, he could just be honest with Morse. I've seen him sit in Morse's office and cry. Mm. And he just... It was just a precious, precious relationship. And this I will just share with you. When I when a pastor dies, there's a lot of people at your house before you get to your house. Mm. And when I finally that night, finally got to our bedroom, I was just sitting on the side of the bed. The closet door was open and I could see his clothing. And it it just was like it was so definite. I wasn't crying or anything like that because... I really understood that I did have the peace that passes understanding. In fact, I had it to the point that people would say, when Doris realizes her husband has died, mm. well, I realized it from the beginning because my favorite verse is, you shall know the truth and truth will make you free. And if that's your favorite verse, you don't do denial. <laughs> and so anyway, I was sitting on the side of the bed and God gave me three sentences. He might as well print them on my mirror. They, they were so loud. And it was, death is non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. My will is perfect. And you have to learn to walk in my perfection. Wow. And this sounds a little bit, probably, I don't know how it's going to sound to you. I'll just tell you the truth and you can decide. I like it. I like <laughs> it. Speak. It'll set me free. But I looked down at my rings. Mm-hmm. He told me those three sentences, and I said to God, you took him, and you didn't ask me, so you're on, Mm. meaning you got to take care of me, Mm. and Mm. we didn't, We, you know, being a pastor, pastors in our realm never had a lot of money, Right. so back the the morning he died, his mind was completely there. The last time I saw him, we discussed how I was going to pay a bill. Wow. But it wasn't heavy. It wasn't worried. It was just reality. You were talking details. We were talking details. Yeah. Because he lived through the night, I was hopeful he was going to live. But mm-hmm. he died o'clock that morning. But I've been a widow for 28 years, and I've been in ministry almost that whole 28 years. So we've just walked together, God and I. Wow. Most of my life has been working with youth. So how did you get from Wichita to Asheville? (laughs) Is that a long story? No, it's a wonderful story. Awesome. Uh, My daughter, Sherry, she's my youngest daughter, the one that Morris died two weeks before her wedding day, Mm -hmm. was already in ministry. And what we say about Sherry and Shannon, if God calls, they're going to do it no matter what. (laughs) That's just kind of the way it is. And while they were in New York, God laid on their hearts to plant a church. I was praying for them to start a church at least a day's drive from Wichita. Mm-hmm. 
that when they learned how much drama <laughs> and music that they had been participating in their whole life, they said, you've got to go to Asheville because it's the kind of city where drama and music and all that is really a part of the culture. Hmm. So they started a church here in 2005. Sue was my oldest daughter, and she, her husband was an elder, and they were very established in the church there. And then Sherry and Shannon asked my daughter to come and be the children's director at this new church that they were planting. And that left me in Wichita, Kansas, without family. Mm. So that's how I came to Asheville. And I came as a missionary here in this young church at the age of 70 years old. Not the oldest member for sure. And there's not even one close to me, really, I don't think. <laughs> and like my title is spiritual life director. And so it's a, it's a mission church. It's truly missionary. We will never have a building. We meet downtown Asheville with a prayer to be salt and light in the community. And then we have Sunday morning service. And then we have small groups in our home during the week. And that's what your brother's a part of. And he's doing great. And I think, are you there, Adam? He yeah. is. So we have an audience of one. He's <laughs> he's doing awesome in that church. And so we got to visit there and loved it. Loved the heartbeat of the church. It was just fabulous. And I also know that you and Morris used to teach some parenting seminars before, yes, before you were in your student ministry. And I loved something you shared with me about pioneer parenting. Do you mind kind of defining what that is for everybody listening? Well, I'll just read the front of our brochure that okay. we together. It said, parenting a child to adulthood is always a pioneer effort by unskilled adults. Principles from God's word and prayers for wisdom will guide you daily. Remembering that you have created an eternal being that will never die is sufficient motivation to keep you committed to your parenting responsibility. I love that. I love thinking it's so true. We don't know what we're doing. We're forging through unknown territory, relying on God's wisdom and guidance. And we are also, I, I've always told moms, this is a soul that God has given you the ability to speak into and to be the hands and feet of Christ for a time, but an eternal being, right? Like that's, that's our motivation. I yeah, love that. The, the other sentence on our brochure at the bottom was to share heaven together, that your goal when you bring a child into this world is that you share heaven together. I love it. I love it. So if to the young mom listening, if you could encourage her or inspire her, what would you say to her? To lift her up today? Well, because of who I am, I think the first important thing is that she have a relationship with Jesus. Mm. Yeah. Because a personal faith will be foundational for your journey in life, let alone as a parent. But if you have a relationship with Jesus and if you understand that the Holy Spirit will give you strength on a daily basis when you pray and when you ask for it, because a lot of parenting children come with different personalities. Mm -hmm. uh, they come with different needs. That there are, are basic things that you do with every child. And then there are other things that need to be done individually according to the child's personality. Mm. And I think just depending on Jesus to guide you is incredibly important. Mm. And, the, and just the Holy Spirit being a counselor, I feel like... Mm -hmm. 
um, reveals to me things that I couldn't have come up with. No book could really truly describe or, or counsel in a way that the Holy Spirit can. Um, I think that's great. I think well, the Gospel great. of John is just if if you could if I couldn't have anything out of the Bible, I could choose one book. It would be the Gospel of John. <laughs> Yeah. And if I could just choose a few chapters, it would be 14, 15, 16, and 17, because that's the last message that Jesus gave. Mm. He was verse eight, I mean, chapter 18, he's starting his journey to the cross. Mm. So it's just, it, it has a lot of really important teaching in it. And one is that he's going to send us this comforter, mm. which is the Holy Spirit. Unless he goes away, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. And I think, a faith in what God does for you on a daily basis, just in your thought process. Yeah. It's just amazing sometimes. You're a parent of four children. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it amazing sometimes just the thought he gives you on a specific day for a specific child? Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm thinking of the negative thoughts that can enter my mind that I have to combat with truth, you know? Do you ever have that happen? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I have some basic things that have really helped me grow in life. And yeah. one, I couldn't tell you who taught me. It was way early on my faith, way, way, way early. But he put it, two hands together, like in front of you with just your palms down and, and your your two hands just together, making a level. And that represents life. Well, on your right hand, when you're going through a struggle and a problem, he lift it up and he'll say, Ask God to help you with this problem. Or the left hand, if you and he would point it down, and when we when we point down, then he would say that's representing Satan. And anytime we go into that negative thinking, that he puts negative thinking in our mind. Hmm. So in a severe problem, I wish you could see this, but in a severe problem, if immediately when it happens, we'll take our thinking process to God, the Holy Spirit will help us. But so many times we let our thoughts become really, really negative, and then Satan increases the negative thoughts in our mind. Does that make any sense? And so the distance between the two hands grows. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, but if we look up, we God will help us. When we look down, when we become depressed, then he, the Satan, just moves in on that with more and more negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. The other mm-hmm. thing the man taught me. And this is so simple, but it's molding me. This is from probably 71 or something, (laughs) 1971, that if it touches your life, even if the devil brings it, you have one question, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? Mm. And that's become a real part of my life just to say, because I had a brother go to prison. He's not a criminal, except somebody died when he was drunk. Mm. He went for involuntary manslaughter. But that brought a lot of pain into our lives. But mm. that when that happened, that's literally the question I asked when I was informed of what had happened the night before. Is, Lord, what do you want me to learn from this? And I'll tell you one thing. It was five years of learning. Mm. That's really good in that it, it shifts your thinking away from why is this happening? Woe is me. Um, comparison. Everything works for them. You know, I think a lot of, again, the negative thought patterns, broad patterns, uh, go away when you're looking to God and saying, what am I supposed to learn from this? 
it has been, like I told you, that was probably way back in the 70s, but that one sentence has been really dominant in molding me and my walk with Christ. Hmm. A lot of things touches your life. Well, and right now I know a lot of the moms listening are in the stage of super young kids, maybe a lot of super young kids. Some of the moms that email me have two or three under the age of five, and their days are just really um, heavy on the workload and they're tired and that feels like their whole world. And so then I, for me, around the time I was in that stage, I was meeting with women who were in their 70s and 80s. And I would hear from them and I'd realize how much time they have had since kids. How oh. much time has passed since kids that, that that time feels so heavy and so weighted. And women will tell us, oh, the days are long, but the years are short. But that doesn't give us much comfort in the moment. What Is things it, what things happen helped you in those moments when you're just feeling frazzled and all the kids need you and um you know you you, you remember those days Well, I really remember those days because yeah. as much as I wanted children, I had prayed to have them and I lived <laughs> through childbirth and I had a boy and a girl and they were 2 years apart. Mm-hmm. And we were in an upstairs apartment mm. with one car. Mm. So when my husband left in the morning, I was in the upstairs apartment. Oh, man. Two like babies. A prison, like a prison itself. Yeah, yeah. it really was. And it was mm. like, I can remember just being thankful to talk to an adult. Oh, yeah. You get to where if I could just talk to an adult today. And I did. I had a older woman that was one of my mentors. She taught me so many things, not just about children, but that would encourage me and say, Doris, you need to stop and realize this is going to be a very short period of time Mm -hmm. in your life. And I went through a time of, because this was the stage, remember when I was working my way to heaven? Yeah, yeah. You need to be doing some good works. And I would hear about the older women in the church, like taking a pie to a widow, or I don't mean older, just people. Just like, yeah, they had older children. Their yeah. kids from school, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I would think, I can do nothing. I'm not being able to do any good works. I'm stuck in this upstairs apartment with two babies, and I can't do any good works. And and she taught me, Doris, this is the most important good work you can do. Mm. It's being up with your two children and loving them. You're going to have plenty of time in life to take pies to widows. Mm. Somehow, there was a lady in our church that was always taking a pie to a widow. That got really... <laughs> In my brain, I wanted to take a pie to a widow. That was good work. And maybe it would help me go to heaven, you know, if I could yeah. just do a good work. But this this lady who was a mentor really helped me on that. I think that's good, too, because the moms now, they have the Internet or they have their cell phone. And what's, what is their connection to the outside world is sometimes social media. And they'll look at it and they'll say, oh, she's doing this for God. She's making that hand-lettered scripture piece and she's has a podcast and she's writing on a blog and oh that person just published a book and there's comparing and it's like well what am I doing I'm just raising my kids and there can be that feeling of I'm not doing enough I'll Um, share with you what I'm sharing with everybody in my path today okay then it's supposed to be said I have six grandchildren right now that are traveling in a drama group 
well, it's called The Story of God. And I called them before they started out on their last tour, and I told every one of them personally this. I mentored two young college students here Monday morning, and this is what I said to them. It's just becoming my theme. It's so simple. It's so simple. Quit thinking about tomorrow and ask God, what do you want me to do today to to represent you well? Mm. And I think if we could just center in on today and our faith today and what God wants us to do today, it would take a lot of the pressure out of life. Mm. So good. He's in the present, right? He calls himself I am. So simple. It's just so simple to get up in the morning and say, Lord, first of all, thank you that I have life. Mm. And how can I represent you well today? And that's just kind of become a theme in the last few weeks with me. Maybe and, because I'm 80. I don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> but it's for, pretty good with my grandkids, and that's 15 to 23 that are on the road right now. Well, I think there there is a lot of pressure to do and be something that other people see and like and comment that you're doing something amazing. And, and I think uh, just being fully present is hard to do. Um, and for that young mom to just recognize, you know, how can I represent you well today to my children? How can they see Christ in me today? today? Not not because of works, but just so that they can sense your love through my presence with them, through a gentle touch, through a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, um, a smile. <laughs> a smile. I really, yeah, I really do think that one day at a time, sweet Jesus, is a really good theme. <laughs> Uh, another time in my life, uh, this is, well, I'll just share this little story. Uh, my brother was out of prison by this time, but my mother was emotionally ill. My father had died, and my mother was living with us at the time, and it was very difficult. Life started with her at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'd always kind of prided myself that I would never have a ner- nervous breakdown <laughs> because I believed God's word so much, I'll just never have one. <laughs> But life was really intense, and so mm-hmm. I got into this thinking pattern. If tomorrow is as bad as today, and the next day after that is as bad, I think I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. Mm. So I went to an elder's wife and cried for two hours. Do we ever cry about our problems? <laughs> I, my mother says, I'm stealing from her checkbook, but I'm not stealing from her checkbook, and mm. I'm just paying her dues, and da-da-da-da. Mm. Anyway, I just cried all this out to the elder's wife, and she just listened so patiently, and she was just so sweet and so kind. And when I finished all of my sob stories, she said, Doris, God can't give you strength for tomorrow, today. Mm. All you have to do is get to bedtime tonight. Mm. And there was a song on the LP albums in those days, One Day at a Time, Sweet Jesus. Mm, I love it. And mother would take a nap in the afternoon. And when she would go to bed in the afternoon with a nap, I would play that album. You know, you had to pick the needle up and place it back down to play a song over and over (laughs) and over and back in those days. Some young wives that are listening to your program don't even know that existed. (laughs) And my goal was to listen to that song all the way through. Until I could play it without crying. Mm. And so that became another theme, which is probably the basis for what I'm telling my grandkids today. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Yeah. And we need need T-shirts. 
Yeah, all you have to do is get to bedtime tonight, Doris. All you have to do. God can't give you strength for tomorrow, today. Mm. That's another one of those sentences she told me. God mm. can't give you for strength tomorrow, today. Mm. Just mm. get to bedtime tonight. Mm. I've been sharing that with people for, well, I'm still sharing it with people. Just get to bedtime tonight. Just get to bedtime tonight. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. That's all I'm asking of you. And new mercies are in the morning, right? Yes. New mercies. And the the 87-year-old that I mentored or that I interviewed for my church, her little phrase for this theme was, there's no grace for your imagination. Oh, that's right. That's, that's a stinger. I have a question. You say your three children are in ministry. Mm-hmm. And I've read some books on what um, what determines whether a child claims faith for themselves. Uh, one book is called Revolutionary Parenting by George Barna Group. They did some research looking at kids that have claimed faith for their own as adults and what did their parents do when they were kids. And I'm just curious, you know, for those listening, a lot of them are pastors' wives or, or really are dedicated to the Lord, and that is their desire as well. What would you say were some key things that y'all did to to kind of foster that faith? Well, when I, of course, I told you in the beginning, I was told like I never lived through childbirth. And when I did, I started this prayer. Mm. And I and it was so, so simple. It makes me smile. Dear Lord, when it was first it was one, then it was two, then it was three. Then when my brother went to prison, I helped raise his boys. And so that's five. I have five couples that I've prayed this prayer for. Could I give to the world five homes on ordinary streets in America that says God's plan for the family still works? Mm -hmm. And I think how I got into that was there's just so many kids from divorced homes. Mm -hmm. Can I give to the world five homes that says God's plan for the world for the family still works? And I never one time prayed for any of them to be in ministry. Mm. But I wanted them, if if it was God's will for them to marry, that it would be a marriage that would last and it would show that God's plan for the family still works. Mm. So it's five couples now have 17 children. Mm. It's the most amazing thing. And so now I pray to give the world 17 homes that says God's plan for the family still works. Mm. And now I have two great-grandchildren, another one on the way. So now I have on my prayer list, can I give to the world 20 homes that says <laughs> God's plan for the family still works. And th- I never prayed for them to be in ministry. That's God's doing. Now I have a question for you. Did you all pray as a family? When things came up, did you stop and pray together? Not in the way that you would imagine or that I would want when I reflect, but we prayed. Um. We prayed on our children's bedside every single night. Mm. You know, more like if he prayed for Sue, this is what we had too, because Sherry came along nine years later. Like if I prayed for Sam tonight, he would be praying for Sue. Mm. I mean, in their room by their bedside. And the next night we would reverse it. Mm. And then probably once a week we would have a family time where it was all together and have a Bible story and a prayer time. I like that. I like that some families put a lot of pressure to have that family devotional time every day. But mm-hmm. I, I think that once a week sounds like a realistic option. I don't think we even ever tried it more than once a week. Mm. And what did that I, look like? It was a variety pack. You know, <laughs> my husband was, you know, 
I really can't even say that there was this pattern that we did it the same thing every time, but it would have been God centered, a story, maybe something read from God's word or an illustration of something about God's word. It wasn't legalistic. I'll put it that way. Mm. It was family time. And how did your kids, did you just start young and so they came to love it and they would, you know, or did you have to drag them like, hey guys, we got to go do this family devotional, you know, did you call it something? Was there a tradition around it that made it a really fun, enjoyable time for them or how'd y'all handle Uh, that? I just don't really even know how to answer that question (laughs) because I don't remember ever, I don't remember anything that, here's just what we said about our, our family. Okay. We may not get the work done, but we get the talking done. <laughs> so it wasn't hard to be together and talk. No, and everything my husband, what, he was in the school system and, and very active in a church part-time and then went to ministry full-time mm-hmm. after we were married. And it was just, um, I don't know, it was just always real. Mm-hmm. My husband was just real. Mm-hmm. So real. There was nothing fake. There was nothing phony. There was nothing showy. It was just real. Mm. That's all. I mean, I just, that's the only way I know how to describe it. Mm. Like anytime he was learning anything new from God's word, because he studied a lot, he shared it with all of us. Mm. Not like in a sit down. I want to share this with you. Mm. It, could it was be just overflow. The, it was just overflow. Yeah, spilling could, out, splashing on everybody. Yeah, it could be sitting on the front porch. It could be sitting on the stairway. Sometimes going up to our bedroom. It was just share time. Mm. Mm. I was a very blessed lady for thirty-two years, and then God took him to heaven. The way I describe it is that Morris Howard raised me spiritually, and then you took the baton, and you've been been guiding young teens and college students and past that. And what do you, what do you find um, is some of your favorite advice to give? I know you've already given some great themes, but have we, have we missed any that you really love to make sure people know when they're struggling or they're growing in their faith? Any favorite verses that, that you dwell on? Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Did I open a can? God. (laughs) I'm on a kick right now with Philippians 4. Okay, I love that. Okay, I call Philippians 4, 4 through 9, I call God's mental health verses. I totally agree, yes. And verse 7 says, He has a peace that passes understanding that will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And connecting that to Colossians 3, where he says, set your, mind, set your heart on things above, where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your mind your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Verse 15 says, let the peace of Christ reign in your heart. I share this a lot, by the way. And verse 16 says, let the word dwell in you richly. Now, this is a little, little thing I've been on right now for six or eight months, probably, that anytime the heart is mentioned, it's your emotions. And anytime the mind is mentioned, it's your intellect. Mm-hmm. And Paul, in both Philippians and and Colossians mentions the heart first. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And yeah. the passage in Corinthians, I mean, the passage in Colossians, um, I call it two sets and two lets. <laughs> because the two sets is set your heart and your mind. And the two lets is let the peace of Christ 
and then the word dwell in you richly. Mm-hmm. And those are always our decisions. So it's going back to Philippians 4, uh, 7, it says that God has this peace that will pass all understanding and it will guard your heart and mind. But when Paul is writing it in Colossians, he puts the sets and the lets. In other words, God or Jesus never runs out of peace, but mm. we don't always set our heart and our mind to where we can receive it. Mm. Did that make any sense? Totally did. It totally did. Well, that's my binge I'm on right now. I go well, on binge of scripture. I totally, I, uh, that, that is helpful to me too, because sometimes I'll get on something and it just, everything I read follows that pattern. I'm like, am I supposed to write about this? What am I supposed to do with this? And and I think it's just like you're doing, just sharing it with the people in your life well, and dwelling about, on it. Yeah. About two years ago, I read John 15, mm-hmm. that, you know, the vine and the branches. I read it every day for six, about six weeks. Mm. And I landed again with something. And where I landed there was our total purpose in our life here is to bear fruit that will last to the glory of God. That's why we're here. Mm. So most of the time when you when people look at that and and you think about bearing fruit is when you lead someone to Christ. But the first fruit you're to bear is fruit in your own life. Mm. Your own witness mm. to him being real to you. Then you can start bearing fruit by leading other people to Christ and somehow that just registered in me a little bit different after I read it every day for six weeks. <laughs> when you're my age, you just go on binges of scripture. You read what you want to. <laughs> the freedom to read what you want to. I yes. love that. I love that. I don't that. have, I don't, I, I may, I may make like right now I'm reading Hebrews. I just decided to read Hebrews again. Mm-hmm. But when you're 80 years old, you can kind of do what you want in God's word. <laughs> At least I do. You can do what you want in God's word. Oh, he wants me to tell you one more story. Oh, okay. One more story. I would love to have one more story. Okay. Remember, I've been a youth worker primarily all my life. Yes. Okay. High school, junior high and high school, and sometimes 20-somethings. Well, when I was still working with high school kids back in Wichita, there was this girl that somebody was bringing to church and I didn't know her. I hadn't paid attention to her at all. And our youth pastor at the time I was working with him, we were on a retreat and I don't know what question he asked exactly, but it was like, what do you want to do for Christ when you grow up? So to speak, that kind of question. And this little girl over in the corner, really frail and tiny said, I'm kind of smart. I think when I grow up, I could be a medical missionary or something like that. Mm. So I made a determination in my heart. I'm going to get to know that little girl when we get back to church. So I would just talk to her a little bit every Sunday night when we had youth group. And come to, there's way too much of this story to tell quickly. So, I mean, I can't tell you all the parts. All the great God details. Yeah, they're just so so amazing. But I learned in a process of time that her stepfather hated her. Mm. And so, but I just, I paid such little attention to her, but I did pay attention every week. So when it came time for Thanksgiving, uh, her father, her stepfather said, you can't come back anymore. Mm. She was to go see with her father 
anyway, so she brought he her father by my house to tell me bye, which has taught me you could give to some people such a little bit, but in their world it's so big and so much. Mm. So we were going that summer to Washington, D.C. with our youth group to a big conference, and her stepfather had already told her, you can't go. Mm. Well, so when her father brought her by my house because she couldn't come back, I said, oh, if you will come back next summer, I will start saving my own money right now, and I'll pay her way to go to Washington, D.C. The father said he would bring her back. Mm. Well, I learned in the process of him bringing her back that some unfortunate things had happened with her father. Mm. To make a long story short, the courts gave her to me when she was 14. Wow. And I said, I can't take a girl at 14. I mean, a 14-year-old girl, I'm a widow, da-da-da-da-da. And God didn't pay any attention to me at all. (laughs) And my secretary kept saying, you're going to take her because you love her. You're going to take her because you love her. Mm. I did. And I made one phone call, and a man prayed her way through Christian school, a Christian school there in Wichita, Kansas. I never paid a dime for a book or anything all three years of her high school. Then she went and ministered with my daughter, Sherry, in New York for a year, then came home and went to to, went to college and became a nurse, that medical dream, you know, that she was yeah. going to do. And God gave her a wonderful husband, and this is what your brother wants me to tell you. They moved here this past year. For one purpose. This almost makes me cry. I almost swear I can say it without crying. They moved here to take care of me in my old age. Mm. Mm. This 14-year-old girl that God gave me is the daughter of my old age. And they bought a house eight-tenths of a mile from me. And shoveled the snow out of my driveway today. But I am 80 years old, and they moved here, the child of my old age, to take care of me in my old age. Now, is Mm -hmm. that not crazy? Sounds like God's provision to me. It is God's provision. It is, but it required your faith and your trust in something that sounded crazy. Oh, I mean. It seems like like an inconvenience. I think we're so afraid of inconveniences and things out of our control and out of our comfort. And how am I going to pay for that? And God's like, just you wait. This is this is an insurance policy. This is good. This it is, is a good so thing. Precious. It is just so precious. And and she knows my heart. And now I've prayed over the chairs before service for probably 25 years. And right, right now with my legs, I can't walk through all the rows and pray for the chairs like I have always. So not only did Sarah and Ryan move here to be my friend and nurse in my old age as I need one, they also are part of my prayer ministry at the church, and they pray over the chairs every Sunday morning because I can't. Mm. So it's so much more than just being with me as I grow old. It's it's just a gift that I can't even I can't even hardly emotionally even put my heart. I don't know what to do with it except accept it. Mm. It's just but, it's a testimony to us all to encourage us to as we follow God trust trust His plan. What were those three things, those statements? Death is non-negotiable. What were my, your three? Death is non-negotiable. My will is perfect, and you have to learn to walk in my perfection. That's it, and that's what you did. That's what you did. 
did. Oh, Grammy. So good. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for spending your evening chatting with me. I'm so very thankful. Well, it's just, it's so fun. It's so fun to have Adam in my life. I mean, I call him my new, my most ad- new, newly adopted son. <laughs> mm, well, he's, he is cute. Hey, any, any uh, ladies that aren't moms that live in Asheville? <laughs> no, sorry, Adam. We, we pray about that. I want him to have a wife, but it has to be right. Hey, well, he says Grammy has to approve. So <laughs> y'all have to get through Grammy first. Get in line, ladies. Well, thank you again. I'm so, so, so happy to share like you with everyone. I feel like everywhere, so maybe there will be something oh, somewhere. <laughs> I have a feeling that God's going to use what you said, so thank you very, very much. You're so welcome. It's been delightful. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to godcenteredmom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.